Um, I have the privilege of introducing uh, my friend, uh, Jeremiah Johnson. Jeremiah is a fellow Kalkaska. Uh, that's the only thing that you need to know. So that means he's a great guy. Uh, but uh, his parents uh, are a gift uh, to me and have been my uh, whole life. Uh, Dan and Sherry Johnson, they were uh, the ministers uh, in Kalkaska. Dan served there for uh, many years, almost 30 years. And uh, he instilled uh, longevity, um, patience, love, and, and care for his flock. And Dan modeled that for me, and he modeled it to his son. And Jeremiah has uh, served most recently for the last 20 years in Bangor Church of Christ. It's just across the border. It's uh, pretty close to Lake Michigan. Uh, and uh, he's been a blessing there. And he and his wife, Sarah, uh, are on to new things and we're not sure what that is just yet, but uh, I'm excited for what God's going to do with Jeremiah. Jeremiah is uh, a wonderful man, and I appreciate him and his friendship. I know that he will encourage us and challenge us today. Uh, and I know that you guys have been really complaining that you haven't gotten as much of me recently. I know. Uh, so the next three Sundays are mine, uh, Easter and the following. Uh, so you're just going to have to put up with one more week without me. Uh, but Jeremiah is sure going to bless us. Um, please join with me in prayer as we welcome you. Uh, Lord, we love you and we thank you for uh, the gift of life and the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And Lord, uh, we want to follow you. We want to listen to you. We want to have peace and understanding. And sometimes, God, we get distracted from that. So, Lord, I just ask that you would guide our hearts now and open our ears and open our eyes to see you and hear you and be changed by you. And as we open your word, as we study, help us to have uh, a little more attention to what your spirit is saying to each of us individually and as a church. And, Lord, we want to be open to you. So shape us and transform us, renew us in the image of our creator. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Thank you for Jeremiah. Thank you for preparing a message on his heart. And we be attentive and open to it, Lord, as you speak through him. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. It is so, so good to be here with you all this morning. Uh, Excited to, to be able to share with you. The last time I was in this building, uh, I was back in college uh, and had um, much more hair and far longer hair and was half the man I am today. Uh, but it is really, really good to be here with you. Um, I, as Jordan mentioned, I wrapped up 20 years of ministry in Bangor, Michigan at the end of 2020. And um, uh, my wife and I now live in Kalamazoo, and we're searching for the next thing God has in store for me. My wife works for Impact Campus Ministries, a nationwide uh, organization for campus ministry, is one of their directors. And um, I've been doing some pulpit filling and some guest speaking, and it was very generous uh, of Jordan to invite me uh, to come and to share with you. I'm very thankful for that opportunity. It's good to see uh, Jordan and Wendy, of course, uh, I've known them for a long time, and Tim and Megan going back to Great Lakes days, and to see you all uh, is just a real blessing. Etna Green has a reputation for faithful service uh, to the kingdom of God, and it is a joy to be with you uh, here today. 
Uh, Jordan was kind enough to tell me what time church started, so I was here on time. He did not tell me what time it ended, so I assume I get to speak as long as I want to. Um, I won't take too much advantage of that. Uh, I, uh, one of the things I really love is being a part of camp ministry. I'm so excited that you guys are sending your kids uh, to summer camp at Lake James. What a great camp. I've been a part of a Michiana Christian uh, camp in uh, Niles, Michigan for um, a long, long time, uh, 25 plus years I think I've been serving there. And uh, I am part of the lead team for our high school weeks there at Michiana. And uh, several years ago, we changed the name of high school camp at Michiana. It's no longer just high school camp. Uh, we changed it to discipleship camp. All of our high schoolers go to discipleship because we really believe in making disciples. We really believe that we are called to be disciples, that each one of us is on a journey of deeper discipleship. And we want to help our high school students understand that, but I am passionate about helping every Christian understand that, that we are on a journey of discipleship, that we are becoming um, more and more discipled by Jesus, or that we ought to be becoming more and more discipled by Jesus. And, And not only are we called to be disciples, but we're also called to make disciples, right? After Jesus' death and his resurrection, when he met with his disciples before his ascension into heaven, at the end of uh, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, very familiar verse if you have been in the church for any amount of time, Jesus says, therefore, go and make what? Disciples. You guys have heard this before. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And, um, and unfortunately, it seems that sometimes we have a hard time doing that. We have a hard time making disciples. And I wonder if that's partially because we have not done a, a good job at being disciples, that that we have not allowed ourselves to be discipled well by the cross and by our Christ and by the church. Don't get me wrong, we, we are being discipled just not by the right things. Too often, Christians are discipled by the world. We spend far, far more time with news and talk shows and talk radio and politicians and entertainers than we do with the Word of God. We spend far, far more time in our entertainment, in our hobbies, in our work than we do in the things of God. We are more consumed by, more discipled by anger, by division, by controversy, by conspiracy than we are the Spirit of God. We have better relationships with pundits and sports stars and political people and celebrity preachers than we do with other Jesus followers in our own lives and in our own churches, and that needs to change if we're going to be disciples who make more disciples. 
And so on this uh, Palm Sunday, as we remember Christ coming into Jerusalem, as we prepare for his resurrection, as we think forward to the founding of his church, as we anticipate this great drama playing out before us over the next week of, of Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter morning, and as we think forward to that first group of disciples, going out on Pentecost then after that to make more disciples. I would like to share with you in the time that we have together today uh, about some relationships that we need if we're going to be disciples who make more disciples. Uh, I'm going to be bouncing throughout the scriptures today. Feel free to uh, try to keep up with me if you want to. Um, on your phone or your tablet or your paper copy of the Bible, uh, whatever you prefer, or feel free to grab a pencil or pen and jot down uh, some notes uh, because I'm going to throw some stuff at you uh, fairly quickly, including a couple of homework assignments at the end. Uh, and I'm going to have Jordan check up on you, all right? Uh, I'm just kidding. I, we won't check up on you. Uh, but there are some things that we're going to ask ourselves to do at the end of today. So feel free to, to, to make some notes somewhere, uh, to jot some of these scriptures down if you don't feel like you can keep up fast enough. Um, we are, as Christians, called into relationship. Of course, we're called into relationship with our Father and with his Son, Jesus, and with the Holy Spirit. But we are also called into relationship with other Christians, aren't we? That's why we are said to be part of a body. That is why Christ gave us the church, so that we might have each other and be in relationship with each other. Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. He says, For just as each of us has one body with many parts, and these parts do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each part belongs to all the others. One body, many parts, all in relationship with each other. And in these relationships, we form disciples. We become disciples, we become deeper disciples, better disciples, and we make more disciples. So what are these relationships that we need to cultivate in the church what are these discipling, discipleship relationships that must exist among us? I want to share with you six relationships. Six relationships that you have to have, have to have, uh, to be uh, a disciple that's making more disciples. These relationships all come out of the life of the Apostle Paul in, in his life as he goes through his journeys and acts and writes about his experiences in his epistles, we discover that uh, he has deep, deep relationships. So often we, we think of the early church, we think of the great evangelism that took place, we think, ah, oh, yes, Paul was leading the way. But it was never just Paul, was it? He was not out there by himself. He was in relationships with other people. And we need these relationships beginning with a Timothy. You need a Timothy. You need a Timothy. This is the person that you 
are personally discipling. This is the person that you are helping to be more like Jesus intentionally. They have to know that they're being discipled. No secret Timothys, okay? This is an on-purpose relationship. Paul purposefully selects Timothy to pour his life and knowledge and experience into Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. The believers in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul sought out Timothy, says, here is someone I can invest in. Here is someone I can disciple. Here is someone that can, can help me with the work and then carry on after I'm gone. You need a Timothy. Now, that person may be younger than you in age, or they may be younger than you in faith, but you need a Timothy, somebody that you're equipping to do the work after you, somebody that you're preparing to send out with the good news. It may be your children or your grandchildren, or your nieces or nephews, but don't just assume that it's young people that need discipling. Adults need discipling as well. I am still a Timothy of several people. There are people who are still investing in my life, pouring their life into me so that I can do good ministry in the years to come. You need a Timothy, more than one probably. Don't think that just because you've discipled one person that you're done. After all, Paul doesn't just disciple Timothy. He also disciples Titus and John Mark and Erastus and so on and so forth. You need a Timothy. And this is normally what we think about when we think about discipleship. We think about pouring into the next generation of believers it is vitally important that we do so. But remember, I told you that there were six relationships that we needed, and this is just one. This is the one we normally think about, but there are five more that are incredibly important that so often we ignore, that we don't invest time and effort into. So let me share with you those other five relationships. Yes, you need a Timothy, but you also need a Barnabas. You need a Barnabas just as Timothy is the one whom you are discipling, Barnabas is the one who's discipling you. You need a mentor in your faith. Paul didn't start out as Paul, did he? In fact, Paul has a very, very rocky, shaky start to his ministry. Uh, when we first see him, he is giving his approval and blessing to the stoning of Stephen. And things kind of, if that wasn't bad enough, go downhill from there, right? 
until Jesus gets a hold of his life and he has this transformative moment. And, and interestingly enough, as Paul becomes a Christian and then wants to live for Christ, wouldn't you know it? He has a hard time doing that because guess what? Nobody will trust him. I wonder why. Until Barnabas comes along to invest in Paul. Acts chapter 9, verses 26, 27, and 28. Acts 9, 26 through 28 says this, that when he, Paul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas, and the entire story of the book of Acts hinges on those two words, but Barnabas, took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. You need a Barnabas. As much as you need somebody to invest in, you need someone investing in you. And listen, you are never too old to need a Barnabas. You are never too far along your journey that you no longer need someone to coach you. Even if it becomes just a peer mentor, you need someone equipping you and then forcing you to move forward, forcing you to take your next step of faith, and eventually handing you the driver's seat. After all, in the uh, story of Acts, for the first several times that we see Barnabas and Paul together, they are referred to as Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul went here. Barnabas and Saul did that. Barnabas and Saul preached this. Until eventually Barnabas said, you are ready to do this on your own, and the narrative changes from Barnabas and Saul to Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. You need a Barnabas. You need someone to invest in you, someone to believe in you, someone to help you take your next steps, and someone to help you learn how to lead. If you are a young Christian today, if you have been a Christian for just a few years or if you are still in the first few years of your life, listen to me, I want to speak to you really quick. Find someone you love, you respect, you trust, and ask them to help you become a Christian like they are. Don't wait for somebody to come and select you. You go find a Barnabas. I respect you, I love you, I trust you. Help me be a better follower of Jesus. You need a Barnabas. You need a Timothy, you need a Barnabas, you need a Silas. That's our third relationship. You need a Silas. You need a partner for the journey. You need a partner for your ministry. After Barnabas and Paul split ways, and unfortunately on very poor terms, Paul refuses to go alone. Paul refuses to go alone onto the mission field. Paul understands, I think, the bad things that can happen uh, when one is working all by themselves. 
We're just not designed for alone. In fact, in the very beginning when God made us, he saw that Adam was all alone. And after saying in the creation that this is good and this is good and this is good, the sun and moon are good, the plants and animals are good, the world is good, all of this stuff is good, the very first time God says that something is not good is when he sees Adam alone. We're not designed for alone. You need a Silas. Acts chapter 16, uh, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Paul ends up in jail. Big surprise, that happens like every Thursday for Paul. But you know how he survives those moments in jail? He's not alone. Silas is there with him. They're encouraging each other, and and they say, you know what, even though we're here in jail, we're going to sing, and we're going to preach, and we're going to make disciples, because they're our people. So let's do it, partner. And they begin to sing, and they begin to preach, and all were listening to them. And just a few verses later, in verse 40, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them, then they left. They, they they, they. Paul's never doing stuff by himself. He always has a partner. You need a friend to go with you, to help you carry the load. In fact, you need lots of them. Paul has Silas and Priscilla and Aquila and Sosthenes and Phoebe and the entire list of men and women from Romans chapter 16. Paul has so many partners throughout his work, in fact, in every letter that Paul writes, or nearly every letter that Paul writes, he lists, greet this person and this person, or I'm writing to you with this person, this person. I know we think of Paul as having wrote, written these books, but, but go back and take a look at Paul's letters. It's never just Paul. It's Paul and Silas, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Sosthenes, Paul and whoever. Paul's never acting by himself. You need Silas, you need partners. This is your church. Your church is your Silas. Your small group is your Silas. Your Sunday school class is your Silas. Your Christian friends are your Silas. You turn to them for encouragement and for wise counsel, and you serve alongside them. You need a Silas. You need a Barnabas. You need a Timothy. And you need an Apollos. You need an Apollos. Uh, Apollos is a character that shows up in Acts and also in 1 Corinthians. We really don't know a whole lot about his life except that he is another minister and another preacher. And his is a different voice from Paul's. Apollos and Paul are connected, but as far as we know in the scriptures, they never actually crossed paths. I assume that they did at some point, but the scripture doesn't give us that story. They are doing ministry often in the same place or nearby, but they are not working side by side. They are parallel to each other. You need an Apollos. You need other people doing ministry. You cannot do it all on your own. There is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian And even the Lone Ranger had Tano's, right? So you need other people. 
The Silas is the person that you're working with. The Apollos is the person who's also doing ministry, even though it's not with you. This is what Paul has to say about Apollos in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. He says this to a church that has really become divided, saying, I am a Paul disciple, well, I am an Apollos disciple. This is what he says. He says, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? We're only servants. Through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. And they will each be rewarded according to their labor, for we are God's co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Paul celebrates Apollos' work. In the church at Corinth, uh, these two ministers, they were, um, the people were being divisive. They were being divided over Paul and Apollos. Well, I think Paul's doing a really good job. Well, I think Apollos is the better minister. Paul says, knock that out. Shut that down. We're co-workers. We're all serving the same God. It's not a competition. I am not in competition with Jordan, and he is not in competition with me. We're, we're brothers doing ministry. Not together, but we're serving the same God. Jesus' disciples often didn't understand that. In fact, on one occasion, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, we saw some other people uh, driving out demons in your name, but because they're not us, we told them to stop. You told them to stop, Jesus says? Don't do that. Anyone who's not against us is for us. They're our co-workers. Uh, in the church that I most recently served in Bangor, one of the great pleasures that I had was a, a, a cooperation between ministers in that town, uh, and we would get together to pray together, and we would get together to do like a Good Friday service together, and we'd get together to do outdoor summer worship services together, and then I really appreciated uh, Dwayne and David and Mona and, and, and John and, and all of those people who were part of that, that collective. They were not my partners in my church, but they were parallel partners in God's church in my town. There's more than one church in this town, and you're not in competition with them. They're a parallel ministry, reaching people that you can't while you reach people that they can't. You need an Apollos, and you need to celebrate and be a help to them whenever you can. You need an Apollos, you need a Silas, you need a Barnabas, you need a Timothy, you need an Epaphroditus. Well, that's not a name that you've ever heard before, is it? You need an Epaphroditus. It is spelled nothing like how it sounds, by the way. Just jot down any letters and remember. You need an Epaphroditus. An Epaphroditus is an encourager. You need an encourager. This is not a well-known name, but listen to me. Without Epaphroditus, Paul's ministry might have ended well before it did in a jail cell. 
in the book of Philippians, which Paul writes from a prison cell, he mentions Epaphroditus as someone who is an encourager to him and is keeping him going, even while he's in prison. This is what Paul has to say. It's in Ephesians, I'm sorry, in Philippians, in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 25, Paul writes this about his friend Epaphroditus. He says, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give. The whole church couldn't be with Paul in, 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 his, in his prison cell, but Epaphroditus could. Epaphroditus came alongside Paul and encouraged him and stuck with him when it was the bleakest of moments in Paul's life. And you need an encourager like that. You need someone who will stick with you when you hit rock bottom. Epaphroditus cares for Paul in a special way that the church as a whole could not. And you need someone like that who will care for you, who will supply your needs, who will be, as the scripture says, a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You need a person or a very tight circle who's there when everything falls apart. You need the person that you can turn to when tragedy strikes, when you're laid off, when that terrible medical diagnosis comes, when your loved one passes. You need someone that you can turn to in your darkest moments so that your darkest moments don't become your only moments. You need someone who's willing to risk their life, to spend all they have in order to pull you back up. Maybe for you that's your spouse or your sibling or a lifelong friend, or maybe it's somebody in this room. But you need an Epaphroditus. You need an encourager. You need an Epaphroditus. You need an Apollos. You need a Silas, a Barnabas, and a Timothy, and there's one more relationship that you have to have. You also need a Peter. You need a Peter. You need someone to hold you accountable. You need someone to hold you accountable. Peter and Paul are absolutely the two best known of the apostles. And they, according to the scriptures, respect each other and even praise each other on occasion. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3 that Paul's writing might be hard, but it's necessary and that it is scripture. That's high praise for Peter to say that about Paul. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 that Peter is a pillar of the church and a good friend. And that's high praise coming from Paul. 
But even though they are good friends, or perhaps because they are good friends, they are willing to hold each other accountable when one of them screws something up. In fact, in that letter um, of Galatians, in that second chapter, we actually have, from Paul's own account, a time that he held Peter accountable in their faith walk. This is what Paul writes. He says this in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. This is Galatians 2, beginning in verse 11. He says, When Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This is very important. If you oppose somebody, don't do it behind their back. Do it to their face. All right? We have way too much behind their back in the church and way not enough to their face. All right? I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, in front of them all, Paul is not shy, is he? In front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force the Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. Listen, we need encouragers. We need people like Epaphroditus. But we also need people that we can have a relationship with like Paul and Peter do. We need people who aren't afraid to get in our face from time to time. We need people who aren't afraid to keep us on track, help us walk the narrow road, as Jesus called it. We need people who are willing to speak truth to us because they love us. And listen, if nobody in your life has this permission, you have a problem. And it is a rapidly growing problem within Christianity in America today that we don't give people permission to tell us when we've walked off the path. You need somebody that you can trust, somebody that you love and that you know loves you, and you need to tell them, literally tell them, I give you permission to hold me accountable to walking the way Jesus has called us to walk. I need you to do that. Six relationships that we have to have if we're going to be disciples who are making disciples. Each one of them is vitally important. None of them can be ignored. The question is, are we cultivating these relationships in our lives. It's hard. It doesn't happen on accident. Each of these relationships must be chosen and they must be invested in. They don't just appear out of thin air. So in order to help us take steps toward those relationships, here's that homework I promised you. Two things that I'd like to invite you to try to do this week. I'm going to be doing them back home in Kalamazoo and and I hope that you'll uh, take some time to, to do them where you live. The first is this. Would you take some time to identify each of these relationships in 
your own life. Who's your Timothy? Name them. Who's your Epaphroditus? Name them. Who's your Peter? Who's your Barnabas? Who's your Silas? Who's your Apollos? Name them. Write it down. And listen, if you can't do that, that's a problem that you need to work on. Identify the people in your life who who hold these relationship positions, and if you can't, begin to work on filling those. And then second, let me ask you to do this. Would you begin to pray for each of them specifically by name, if you're not already? I have a friend named Wally who is a minister in Lansing, and about every two weeks or so, usually on a Wednesday, I get a text from him that just says, I'm praying for you today, how are you? I am um, a friend of Wally's. In fact, he was um, the best man in my wedding. We've been friends for years and years and years. We're co-ministers. We, we do camp together. We do ministry together. He is one of my Silas's. He's one of my Epaphroditus kind of people. He's there for me when I'm at my absolute worst. And I appreciate so deeply that that like clockwork, he checks in on me. He says, how are you and how can I pray for you? I'm praying for you today. That matters to me. When I was younger and doing my internship while I was back in college, I lived with my grandparents for a few months in in Kentucky. And, And every afternoon, my grandparents would sit down together for between 30 minutes and two hours depending on on what their day looked like. And they would pray by name for the people in their lives. On one day it would be for ministers that they knew. On one day it would be for people in their church. And one day it would be for people that they had baptized or performed weddings for. And so on and so forth. But they took the time to pray over those relationships. We can do the same. We need to do the same. So let's work on identifying those relationships in our life and then making sure that we cover those relationships in prayer. Listen, it has been a real joy and a real privilege for me to be here with you today. And I wish that I could keep going and going and going because this is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to being and making disciples. The good news is, at least for me, and I hope for you as well, that I get to come back in uh, a couple of months. I get to to spot for Jordan while he's up at our hometown in Kalkaska preaching there in May. And so when I come back, I'm going to come back and talk with you about some of the intentional activities that we can do in these relationships and keep this conversation of discipleship going. In the meantime, May we invest in the relationships that bring us closer to God. May we put real effort and hard work into being disciples who make disciples. And as people see the deep and meaningful relationships that exist between the people of God, as they see the relationships that we're cultivating and the relationships that we depend on, May they desire relationships like that in their own lives. And so come and be disciples. Would you please pray with me? Our Father, we thank you.
for the life of Paul, certainly, but we thank you for all of those lives that are interconnected with this. We thank you for Timothy and for Barnabas, for Silas and Apollos, for Epaphroditus and Peter, and for Priscilla and Aquila and for Phoebe and Lydia, for Sosthenes and John Mark and for so many others. Father, your church changed the world in the years after the resurrection of Jesus, not because one person was doing all the work, but because disciples were making more disciples, were living in fellowship with one another, were serving together, encouraging each other, mentoring and being mentored by each other, not working in not working in conflict, but, but working parallel ministries, celebrating what others were doing, and holding each other accountable. Father, the church could do that again. I know that we could. But we have the same Holy Spirit in us that was in these men and women. So, Father, we ask, please, by your Holy Spirit, on this Palm Sunday, that you would draw us closer to Jesus, knowing that that happens in relationship with other Christians. And as we draw closer to Jesus, may we help draw others closer as well. May we be disciples, making disciples, so that the world may know of the great grace mercy and love that you have for us manifest